This episode is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a bit different than most summers. We're staying at home for the most part, and we're finding ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players, ages 10 and up, although younger kids can play with adult guidance. It is a great way to keep families engaged in off screens, even if it's just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. And it's really easy to pick up. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of our podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. Xfinity XFi is more than just fast. It's internet that gives you peace of mind security. Because if it's connected, it's protected. Yeah, even your robot vacuum. Can your internet do that? Learn more at Xfinity.com slash XFi. Hey, this is Annie. And this is Bridget. And this is Stuff Mom Never Told You. Today, um, we're going to talk about something that has come up at least twice on Stuff I'm Never Told You, once with you and Emily Bridget, and once with Kristen and Caroline, and that's marriage, and specifically a feminist marriage. Is it possible? Can it be done? Um, And we're speaking with Joe Piazza, who's written a book, How to Be Married, and it has a new podcast coming out called Committed. It's coming out June 6th. I've been hearing stories about the production aspect, the, the pre-production aspect of that show, and it's been fascinating. I'm very excited to hear it. it it's um, Joe goes out and interviews people with marriages that perhaps don't fit into what we would traditionally think of as a marriage and asks them, how are you married? How does it work for you? And uh, just a, a look at all of these different marriages. But um, I know that we've talked about this a little bit off mic, Bridget, and you've mentioned it some on the show, but I wanted to ask, as a kid, did you think about marriage a lot? I probably did as a kid. Um, I remember some, looking back, it's embarrassing, but I remember some fake weddings that we used to have as kids, like like dress-up weddings with my brother as the groom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Which I guess is probably illegal, but... <laughs> It was fake. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't legally binding that I know of. Oh, gosh. <laughs> if I check into that. That's like a smash cut in a sitcom. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> It'll be like follow-up episode. So it turns out my brother and I are legally married. <laughs> and I'm dealing with that in court right now. <laughs> it's going to follow me around for the rest of my life. <laughs> How about you? Did you? Were you the kind of kid who dreamed about being married? No, I never did. And it's one of those things that, I always felt was weird as a young girl because you're kind of, I guess, expected to fantasize about I'm going to wear this dress and it's going to be at this location. Um, I don't know if you ever played MASH. Yeah, okay. Well, this was this game for anyone that didn't know. It was Mansion, Apartment, Shack House was what MASH stood for. It was basically a game to see, like, where you were going to end up in the future, who you're going to marry, how many kids you're going to have, what dress you're going to get married in. Um, That was the extent of my wondering about marriage. I did know I wanted a short dress because I didn't want to have to fool with the long train when I was dancing or whatever. Oh, I thought that—well, the train is detachable, I think. Oh. I actually don't know. What do I know? (laughs) But um, similarly, I knew from the movie Clueless, I knew I wanted to have a— Sailor hat, but it was going to be a veil. <laughs> and then, <laughs> what? And then all my bridesmaids were going to wear a sailor this is, hat. This is from, if you've seen the movie Clueless, Cher's friend Dee describes her perfect dream wedding, and it involves a nautical theme where she wears, her all of her bridesmaids wear sailor outfits, and that her cap is going, it's going to be a sailor's cap with a veil attached, which I thought sounded very classy when I was like 11. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll still do that if I ever get married. I mean... That sounds fun, at least. <laughs> it sounds like it'd be fun. Um, I, as I've gotten older, I have come to the decision that I probably am not the type of person that will ever get married. I don't think it's for me. And for a while, um, when I would tell people this, they would always say, like, you're going to change your mind. You're going to meet the right guy everything's going to fall into place. And I believed that for a while, too. Um, My last relationship, I just got out of a relationship that was two and a half years long, and we broke up because he was, I think he thought if he waited me out, 
I would change my mind. And he said, I want to get married. I don't have kids. And I still didn't. And I said, I told him, it's a roll of the dice if I ever change my mind. And then he's like, we need to break up. Um, (laughs) And I thought, to be fair to him, I did enter into that relationship thinking maybe I would change my mind too. But I don't think that that's going to happen anymore. Why do you think it's not for you? I think that for a lot of reasons. Um, I have a really close friend group, and all of our parents are either divorced or extremely unhappy. There's only one couple that's, like, still together. And um, she's actually my— so my friend's mom in this couple, she's this voice I hear. She's like the Jiminy Cricket of— of my brain, but she's really, really conservative, um, and they're Catholic. And so she used to say that um, if you take divorce off the table, you'll never get divorced. And I was like, okay. It's kind of an intense, <laughs> intense thing to say. But she, she used to say to me that the reason so many people are getting divorced is because they, we've made it an option for so many people to get divorced. Almost like it's a cop-out, like— at the first sign of trouble, like, okay, I'm getting out. But um, I don't think that's that's necessarily true. I just hear her voice all the time in the back of my head. Well, Annie, you should get married because that's that's when you're going to be happy and that your life will have meaning and it will be complete. But, uh, yeah. yeah but you strike me as someone who has a very complete life. You have a close friend group, really dope hobbies, a cool job. Why do people think that because you're an unmarried person that your life is not complete? It sounds very full. I know. This is a question I ask myself all the time, and it's such a strange thing because to me, it's just not a priority. I do have a full life, but so many times, especially in like um, any kind of family, extended family type thing, that's the first thing they want to know. Who are you dating? I mean, when are you going to settle down? When are you going to find the guy? As if I'm living this immature (laughs) which to be fair (laughs) but it's not immature because you don't want to get married it's immature for other reasons it's immature for other reasons (laughs) I'm kidding right my late night like going out maybe but in the day I'm a very mature person but they all, all those questions always make me feel like I have failed in some way or like I am running out of time and one day I'm just gonna realize I wasted all of my youth and now no one will ever want to marry me you know, do you feel something similar to that? I do. Oh, where do I start? I mean, <laughs> my vibe is similar. I mean, I'm I'm older than you, Annie. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, I'm not against the idea of getting married. Oh, no, me uh, I'm not someone who says, I'll never get married. I don't want to be married. I'm totally open to it. I think at this point in my life, I wonder if I'll still do that in my life. And mm-hmm. it's sort of, yeah, if it happens, it happens. If not... I guess I have to be okay with it. Uh, I don't talk a ton about my romantic life on the podcast. I like to keep that private. But I will say that I was engaged and never got married. And I think what I learned from that experience was that there are lots of different kinds of love that you can have. And there are lots of different kinds of partnerships that you can have. And there are lots of different kinds of ways that you can that people can feel romantically fulfilled. And that marriage is one of them, but it's just one of many. Yeah. And I think, you know, growing up in the South, it's, for me, it felt a touch unusual to not be married. When I was a bit younger, I remember thinking, when I would see my my very young classmates get paired off and, and buy homes and all of that, I remember feeling deep down in my bones that even if I wanted it, that probably would never be me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know why. I didn't know, I didn't know where that feeling was coming from. I just sort of knew it. I knew that that life, I probably would never have that life. And I thought I would stay up late and think, you know, I probably will be alone forever. And <laughs> so a very, it's a very heavy kind of person that thinks that when they're like 15. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so as I've gotten older, I mean, this is making me sound very tortured, but yeah, I'm, 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 as Carrie Bradshaw would say, I am open for love, ready for love, all of that, all of that nonsense. But mm-hmm. yeah, I guess, I, I guess to be someone who is, and I hate to use this word and please don't crucify me, but older, I feel older 
I went to the doctor recently and she asked if I was planning to have kids. And I said, I've always wanted to. She gave me a pamphlet about um, childbearing later in life. And I said, oh no, this isn't for me. I'm, I'm in my 30s. And she said, well, and then she just kind of trailed off. <laughs> I was like, oh, I get what you're, oh, I get what you're, uh, man. thank you for that. Oh. So I think for me, it's like, I have to sort of just be okay with it. It has to not be a heavy burden in my life. And I have to surround myself with people who understand that and understand that it's not something that I'm choosing to be stressed out about. There are plenty of things in my life to be stressed out about, whether or not I'll get married. I gotta like, I gotta deprioritize it. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Long story short, I'm miserable. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, my life is fine. <laughs> I also get um, a lot of times when I say I'm not interested in getting married or it's not really for me, a lot of people immediately ask me like, well, who hurt you? As if I... I've, what are you, Drake? I know. <laughs> Annie, who wounded you? Tell me, Annie. You wounded bird. It was Drake. <laughs> it was. <laughs> He had this song and it stayed with me. And I do have things that I know are not like healthy outlooks on marriage. I If I ever get married, I'm having my own separate finances. And that's just, that's how it is. But it's not, <laughs> I'm not some damaged person just like, I, I can't do it because this gentleman in my youth burned me so hard. People are always looking for what's wrong with you. Why is it? that you don't want this. And similarly for me, I'm like not I'm not totally against it, but it's not a priority. It's very similar like I don't know. Yeah, uh kind of like what you were saying with your your friend group. My parents have kind of an intense marriage and I kind of grew up absorbing these signals that marriage was something that added chaos to your life and added stress and added difficulty to your life. Like that was the the model of marriage that was presented to me that it made your life harder. It was something to be endured. And I think it was some, because of that, it was something that was sort of easy to kind of not prioritize. Yeah. You, you learn the tools of relationships from the relationships you observe. I don't remember who said that, but someone said that. <laughs> it might have been Kristen and Caroline from the show. Um, another thing, too, with my friend group that I mentioned, none of them are married. None of them are close to getting married. So I don't have the friend pressure yet. I have a secondary friend group that I'm not as close to, and they're all married with kids and houses. And every time I hang out with them, I do feel a little out of place. But I usually end up having a great time if we go out to bars because I get to go out and flirt with everybody, and they have to stay in their group. (laughs) I'm like, there's a hot person over there. I'll be back in 20 minutes. But I don't have that, like, friend pressure yet. And I do think of... What what's going to happen if if they all start getting married? It will definitely change the dynamic. And again, this is something we've discussed on the show before. Um, you and Emily interviewed Jill Filipovic, Kristen and Caroline um, interviewed Meg Keen, founder of A Practical Wedding. It's a question we struggle with um, as women. How do we make these marriages work? Anybody, really. Marriages are difficult. At the end, I think we mix up the wedding with the marriage, especially in the United States. Oh, God. I could talk all day about that. Mm-hmm. Also, I have a lot of friends who get engaged, and it's like, I mean, I love them, but it's like, no one's ever been engaged in the history of people before. <laughs> yeah. Like, coming soon. It's like, it has to be, you know, it's such a production, and I'm like, yeah. okay, we get it. You know? It's like, we get it, we get it, we get it. Like um, a blockbuster movie. Yeah. And so that, so that's irritating, but what's also irritating is this thing that celebrities do where they... Get, they get engaged, and they're like, oh, we're doing it very private. And then they still, like, post it on Instagram. So it's like, by virtue, of, like, you don't, you, can't, you don't get brownie points for having a, like, private, understated engagement. And then also reveal that you did it, and then, like, want, I don't know, it's just a yeah. whole thing, you know? Yeah. Like, which is it? <laughs> That's true, especially with social media, that it's, it's gone to a whole nother level. Speaking of mixing up the, the wedding with marriage, I have this quote from... Um, Psychology Today, which describes the wedding uh, thusly. Sexist beyond parody. The bride appears in a fussy white dress that symbolizes her virtue and virginity, and everyone keeps on remarking on how thin and beautiful she looks. Her father walks her down the aisle to give her away, and she passes like property from one man to another. The minister, who is traditionally a man, gives the man permission to kiss the woman, as if that is the minister's authority and the woman has none. 
The man kisses. The woman is kissed. At the reception, only men are given to speak while the bride remains seated and silent. Henceforth, the woman will adopt the man's name, as will their eventual offspring. Despite all this, the wedding day is said to belong to the woman. This, would you believe, is her day. Yeah, when you break it down like that, weddings are weird. They really are. Um, And in defense of the wedding, I know a lot of people now are customizing it. They're, They're stepping away from this. They're not following these norms to that extent. And or uh, I read somebody who was kind of giving a counter argument to this that like when you see somebody in a white dress, you no longer think, oh, she must be a virgin. (laughs) Yeah, that's, I mean, they make, they make white wedding dresses for pregnant women who are getting married while they're they're expecting. I mean, I think we, I I hope we've abandoned that idea by now. (laughs) It's like, I think she might have already had sex. She's nine months pregnant. <laughs> I, yeah, I hope so. I do remember my mom. Oh, mom, please don't yell at me for this. She doesn't listen to the show. She showed me her wedding dress once, and she said in such, like, a funny, conspiratorial voice, it's off-white. Ooh. <laughs> and I didn't know what that meant. It's <laughs> like, okay. That's such a nice, a nice like, euphemism. <laughs> A young Annie was like, okay, mom. That article also asked a question that um, we'll have to come back to. Uh, we've talked about it several times. Off, off mic. Uh, in the U.S., why does the separation of church and state go out the window when it comes to marriage? Oh, this is such, you know this is a pet peeve of mine. Yeah. I don't think that, I mean, marriage is essentially a contract with the state. Right. I have a lot of questions about the role of religion in marriages and how it shows up in our wedding ceremonies. Yes, I do as well. And it's kind of like the state sanctions a private relationship with benefits like health care, tax breaks, basically saying this one relationship, this one way of life is better than any other. And it's been that way throughout time. Um, think of anti-miscegenation laws or the fact that gay marriage is not equally accessible or it hasn't been. Um, And the whole thing has to do with raising children, very simplified, and what the government has deemed as the best bet for doing so without needing social assistance. And it goes way back to the church, church with a big C, pushing the same thing so they wouldn't have to pay for kids born out of wedlock. They wanted a stable family to raise the kids so they wouldn't have to provide any monetary funds for said child. Definitely a future episode. Yes, we, we've talked about this, like you said, off, off mic. But when you think about the way that religion shows up in what is essentially a contract with the state, it really, it really raises some questions. It does. And you can go get a courthouse wedding. You don't have to do the church thing. But it's just so ingrained in our culture. It's kind of interesting. In terms of uh, sort of non-traditional weddings, I actually have a policy in my life where I won't attend a wedding that doesn't have an open bar. So hey. <laughs> you want me at your wedding? I consider a, a, I consider a wedding with a cash bar non-traditional, and I will not attend. <laughs> That's how I was raised. I will say that you and I might be on the same page because I always look first. Like, is it an open bar? Oh, ca- cash bar invite right in the trash. <laughs> right in the trash. <laughs> I my uh, my mom's side of the family is known to be big drinkers, and uh, my cousin's wedding, we got kicked out. Of the church. Oh, my God. <laughs> that wedding must have been lit. It was fun. I was having, I don't know what went wrong. I was having the time of my life. And then the next thing I know, it's like, everybody out. <laughs> Clear out. <laughs> to this day, I'm not sure. We all scattered. <laughs> <laughs> fun wedding. Memorable. Another article I found called How to Have a Feminist Wedding out of The Guardian talked about that things I, as an unmarried woman, had no idea about, including bridal underwear. Rides right in about that. Um, and the constant question about um, when wedding dress shopping, how much weight are you planning to lose? You also be charged extra for any alterations due to, quote, last-minute weight loss. And you look two sizes smaller than you did when you first walked in, and that's no bad thing. It's something that a lot of, like, wet, uh, wedding dress changing rooms have. Mm. Um, it sort of undermines that whole, I love you for you no matter what thing. It's just... Bizarre. It is bizarre. And we have so many weird things. I mean, anybody out there who's planning a wedding can tell you that the second wedding is attached to something, it's like twice the price. Yeah. You buy a white dress from Macy's. If it's the same dress, but it's a wedding dress, they have to up the price. Yeah. It really, it's such a, 
bracket. And we, <laughs> it's, we just have so many just accepted weird customs when weddings are in the mix. We absolutely do. And it's, I, another thing that I thought was very strange is that a woman is supposed to plan every aspect of the wedding. And it's always assumed she will. I read a lot of accounts of this where the man is planning something, but they just address the woman because they assume it's, she must be the one planning it in this heteronormative um, marriage. Uh, but if she goes overboard in that planning, she's a bridezilla. <laughs> so it's like, you have to plan everything, but be cool, okay? <laughs> well, that's just another way that women are are straddled with these completely unrealistic and also opposing norms that you have to, you have to do all the planning, but if you, and so, you know, take the lead, get the binder, whatever, and... If you do it too much, that's bad. So not doing it at all, that's no good. Mm-hmm. Doing it too much, also no good. So you have to find this perfect, like, Goldilocks area in the middle of you're doing all the work, but you're acting super chill about it, and you really don't care. You're chill. Yeah. It's like, how could... No, it's too much. <laughs> yeah. That dreaded cool girl stereotype. Oh, we got to do that. I know. I can't wait to do that one. Are you a cool girl? <laughs> Is anyone a cool girl, Bridget? I think people might think I'm a cool girl. In reality, I'm the least chill person on earth. (laughs) I have a similar thing, but it's more that, like, I always uh, think of Gone Girl had that definition of a cool girl, and it's the girl that will go out and drink beers with you and get a hamburger with you and somehow is still a size two. I'm that, and that I'm, I'm, like, eating way too much and drinking too much with people, but when I'm home, I'm, like, super healthy and very tame. So my outward, like, social presentation, I guess, is the cool girl, but I'm not, because I don't know that that exists. Yeah, I'm, in in that definition, I am cool girl in that I will go to a dive bar and drink you under the table, but I will complain the entire time <laughs> while I'm there, and I will, um, it will not be chill at all. <laughs> <laughs> the uncool girl. Yeah, I'm happy to be that. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. So, in the U.S., as of 2017, a divorce takes place every 36 seconds, 40% of marriages. So, how... In the world, are people making this work? How does one be married? And to answer this question, we are getting to this, the interview portion of the show. We're speaking with Joe Piazza, who has done a lot more research on this than either Bridget or I have. Um, she's written a book called How to Be Married, as we mentioned. And in her words, she wrote it because, as a 34-year-old feminist, I had no idea how the F to be married, to be a wife, and a partner. I tried to explore the concept of how to be a wife and a feminist and how to have a marriage of equals. So we're going to take a quick break for an ad, and then we'll jump right into the interview. This episode of Stuff I Never Told You is brought to you by Catan. This summer looks a lot different than most. We're staying at home for the most part, and many events we usually look forward to are canceled. We find ourselves looking for new activities to enjoy at home. Catan is a board game for three to four players ages 10 and up, although many younger kids can play with initial adult guidance. It's a great way to keep families engaged and off screens, even if it is just for a little while. And those opportunities are hard to come by. Unlike the roll your dice, move your mice games, this is a little different. What are your experiences? The first time I played Catan was at our office game night, and it was so fun. It was quick to pick up. It was easy. It was social. We made it really competitive because we're a competitive group, but you don't have to. And what I thought was just going to be a, a short game among friends turned into an epic game night that we shall remember forever. <laughs> hours we played, hours. And uh, yes, I lost, but I had fun. You had fun. <laughs> well, obviously, it keeps you really social. And like you said, it is really easy to pick up, which is really nice right now. This year is the 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at catanshop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code mom at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. This episode is brought to you by China. The China brand provides premium disposable tableware to celebrate moments of togetherness. Yes, and right now that is more important than ever especially when we're all apart. So recently, I had a group and we had a a socially distanced barbecue where the host drew out circles and chalk that were six feet apart. And everyone showed up with their own chairs and beverages. And it was really convenient to have disposable products. And we we just had a, a lovely conversation. Um, it was really fun. Yeah. And I'm with the disposable products, I know that the China brand provides durable and trusted products, which I have used before, that let you enjoy every moment of the get-togethers and traditional 
or now not. And there are classic white products that can work for any gathering or cut crystal plates and cups when you want to make something a little extra special. Disposable tableware keeps things simple and cleanup easy. Chinet products are available wherever you buy groceries, including delivery or pickup. And we're here now with Joe Piazza. Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. Thank you guys for having me. So first off, a tough question. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I can, yeah. So I'm actually the host of a brand new podcast called Committed, where we talk about all things marriage. And people people have been asking me, they're like, why is it called Committed? And I'm like, well, doesn't being married sometimes kind of feel like being in an insane asylum? <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, it does. It does. Um, but it it came about, I'm a journalist and an author, and, you know, I've been a journalist since I've been a grown-up, and writing books almost that long. And when I got married, I was kind of old. You know, I was on the geriatric side for most of America, which isn't that old for other people, but um, I was 35 and I was the last of my friends to get married. So I was kind of like the Jennifer Aniston of my friend group. Like I was happy with my life, but everyone else was sad for me. And then when I got engaged to this great guy who showed up out of nowhere, I realized I had no idea how to be a wife or how to be married or, or what you're supposed to do to be in a couple and I wrote this book called How to Be Married I kind of I still don't know if I love the title but that was the title where I asked women all over the world how the hell do I do this and so it was very fancy French women women in polygamous tribes in Kenya and Tanzania Orthodox Jewish women in Jerusalem and compiled this into one book where we just talked about marriage that wasn't total BS. I mean, marriage off of Instagram. So there's no hashtag couple goals or, you know, sweetly, fakely post date nights. It's like the nitty gritty of what this is really like. And I'd like to think of it as a, uh, a feminist guide to figuring out how to be a wife. So that brings me to my burning question. How do you be married? How do you be a, a spouse in this country? It's, you know, I still have no clue. That's, and that's the problem. <laughs> Uh, it was really funny on my on my book tour last year. People kept billing me as a relationship expert, and I'm like, oh no 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 no. Anyone anyone who calls themselves a relationship expert probably doesn't know anything, and they're definitely divorced. Uh, I'm just a journalist who was asking the questions, and I have a lot of answers, but I don't have all of the answers. Uh, the one thing that I found out that was really interesting is that we have way too many expectations around marriage in this country. And it comes out of the fact that we're kind of schizophrenic about what marriage even means now, because it's changed so much from what it's meant for all of human history, which was essentially just a legal way for a man to get a female slave. It was transactional in in nature. So romantic, right? But it's true. Um, It was a father essentially selling his daughter to a husband and the woman would serve the man. And that's, that's what marriage has been. And that's what those roles have been defined as for all of human history. Still in a lot of parts of the world, that's exactly what still happens. And until maybe 20 years ago. And so now that we have marriages where people are actually in love where people are equal partners, where, and in a lot of my friends' marriages, the woman actually makes more money than the man, we don't know how we're supposed to act or how we're supposed to operate, and we have all of these crazy expectations. The biggest problem with American marriage, I learned, is that we think that our spouses are everything, that they're our best friends, the greatest sex we've ever had, our soulmate, our tennis partner, our running buddy, our therapist the person who tells us our butt looks cute in our new jeans, even when it doesn't. And one person can't be everything. And when that person fails to be everything, we get pissed and we think that our marriage isn't working. And that's the story that I hear over and over from women. Yeah, I do think we kind of normalize this idea that when you marry, you are marrying the person who's going to be everything in your life. And so 
the role of your girlfriends or your buddies or your work wife or whatever, all of those roles kind of become, I don't want to say erased, but diminished because now you have a husband and that person's supposed to be your end-all be-all. And yeah, it's just, it's not true. And it's also not realistic. No, and it's not, and it's not healthy. And pop culture does, does nothing but promote that idea. I mean, The Bachelor is still one of the highest rated shows on network television. And even Sex and the City, which billed itself as being this feminist phenomenon, three of the four characters on that show ended up married by the end of the series. And frankly, Samantha was the only one who was allowed to not be married because she was, quote unquote, the slut. Like, we're still a culture that says, Marriage is going to fix everything. All you need is a husband and all your problems are going to go away. Yeah, and and to go back to your Sex and the City example, even at the end of the series, they kind of seem to be flirting with the idea that her and um, who's the really hot guy she was dating? Jarrett. Yeah. Smith Jarrett? Yeah, they they kind of teased the idea that she had found her, quote, one and only. And I remember thinking, oh, brother, like nobody on this show can get past the idea that everybody has this one perfect person for them. And when they link up with them, poof, all their problems are solved. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it was such a bummer for a show that claimed it was so female forward and such a, a feminist show that all of us that no, the answer to everything on that show was a man has to love you. That whole pop culture thing, I didn't realize how much for me until I started working on this show, and we talk about that a lot about how the the audience of this show has been really like transformative and helpful for me as a person. But somebody wrote in a comment once like we need to stop defining success as only this one thing, as in you get married and you have the two kids and you get the house and you have the pet and you have the job and that is success and that is the only thing. Because we see that over and over again in pop culture. If you don't have that, then something is missing from your life. Oh, exactly. I mean, I I wrote in my book, How to Be Married, that I got more likes on my Facebook status when I got engaged than I did when I published a book or a second book or a third book. Like, everyone thought that this was the biggest thing I'd ever done in my entire life, the most important thing, compared to all of these professional achievements that I'd had the 35 years prior to just meeting some dude. That's amazing that you even say that. I have a, I have a lot of friends who sort of work as digital strategists and social media managers, and they've actually done studies that when you say things like, if you made a Facebook post that was like, I'm engaged in a huge book project I want to tell you about. Yeah, the algorithm exactly, exactly. will actually privilege that post and pe- more people will see it because they think, oh, she just got engaged. <laughs> huge news. So even Mark Zuckerberg is controlling how we think about marriage. <laughs> I know. All, all I want to do is trick Facebook on a daily basis. So I'm like, look at my new baby. This book, Charlotte Walsh <laughs> likes to win. Buy it now on Amazon. That's awesome. Um, but it has been really interesting just hearing the stories. And so now that now that I am married and now that I want to create this marriage of equals for which there's really there aren't role models out there for it because we're the first generation or like the, essentially like the second and third generation that are really doing this. My mom certainly was not in a marriage of equals. Um, I know that my grandmother wasn't. So now that I'm doing this, I mean, it's really just trial and error and that's why the stories of how other people make marriage work, like the nitty gritty, the like the good, the bad, the really, really ugly. I find that so helpful. So especially going back to social media, all we see on social media are people looking perfect and looking filtered and that all of their relationships are super happy. And my friends who post the most with their husbands or boyfriends on social media are the ones that I know are probably getting divorced. So they've actually done studies. According to a study recently published by the Personality and Social Psychology Bulletin, couples who are always bragging about their significant other on social media, the hubby, the hubster, all of that, well, they're actually more likely to be insecure about the state of their relationship. So the more you're posting, the more you can't get enough of your hashtag bae or whatever, uh, the more likely, according to this data, you are to be in a relationship that you feel insecure about. Totally. And I want to ban the word hubby. I oh really my gosh. do. <laughs> so gross. I've had to make a bunch of new friends since I moved from New York to San Francisco. And that's one of my like friend red flags. Like if you're a woman who uses the word hubby, I'm like, we're not going to hang out again. 
Well, you bring up a good point. I mean, why do you think that especially women feel this need to depict a version of their romantic situations, romantic lives and marriages and what have you on social media? I actually feel quite a bit of pressure to do that. And I wonder, like, where do you think that comes from? I think it comes from pop culture. I really do. Pop culture has programmed us and has told us that our marriage, our husband, is the most important thing about us and that we need to show the world that we're, quote-unquote, succeeding at this thing. And it's so sad because I would love to just post pictures of me, like, at the computer, finishing a book, or at the office, having a big meeting. But, you know, no one no one is going to like that as much as, like, this picture of my husband doing the dishes, which he, which he does do because we have an equal marriage because he's a feminist man. But... Yeah, I totally, I blame, I blame pop culture for all of it. Pop culture has programmed us, and now we're trying to deprogram us to prioritize what we should be prioritizing in our lives. And that's not to say that marriage isn't great and awesome. I love being married, but it is a struggle to figure out how marriage works for you, as opposed to these role models that we've seen in the past. That's so funny you bring up the dishes, because I once was in a relationship where I told the guy at the beginning of the relationship, I will cook, but you have to do the dishes. And lo and behold, it becomes more and more that I am doing the dishes. And I wrote a 30-page essay <laughs> called Apologist Theory and Why You Have to Do the Dishes. And I never gave wow. it to you. We just broke up because I realized <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I was taking it too far. But um, <laughs> I'd, really, I'd really like you to publish that somewhere. Because I, I think that's it. the kind of thing that would go viral. <laughs> yeah, that's also the most Annie thing I've ever heard. <laughs> um, also, can I just as a, as a side note, I have a theory about dishes. I will never, this is a very privileged thing to say, I will never live in another living quarters of any kind that does not have a dishwasher. I moved into an apartment recently that did not have one, and I, I was like, I have to pay to have one installed. I don't care. I think not having a dishwasher is a, it's like you're asking for your relationship to be doomed. Because there are <laughs> yep. two types of people in this world. People who let the dishes linger after a meal, yes. people who want to do them right away. And if you're, not the, if you're not compatible, you're asking for trouble. So get a dishwasher. That is Bridget's tip for life. I think that's a great tip. Tip for a happy marriage. Exactly. Get, get a damn dishwasher. I know, but knowing me, it'll be get a dishwasher, separate bathrooms. By the end of it, it's like, don't <laughs> live, like, just live across the street. <laughs> don't even live near... <laughs> Let's just like Woody Allen and Mia Farrow live across the yeah, park, and we know wave. how that turned out. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I have a I have a really funny dishes story. So one of the couples that I interview on this podcast committed, she has no short term memory. So she had a stroke, and now she has almost permanent um, short term amnesia. So I, there's this one story where she was doing the dishes. And she looks at her husband, and she's like, how long have I been doing the dishes every night? Because she didn't remember. And he's like, just, you know, a few months. Because every night he's like, hey, it's your turn to do the dishes. And she's like, okay, I guess you must have done them last night. I can't remember because I have no short-term memory. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. That made me wish that sometimes my husband would have amnesia but then i'm like i think i've just seen the movie overboard too many times oh a classic of the genre oh it's so good it's so so good (laughs) um through i'm situated in a place where i can hear what um what like episodes for committed um the editors are working on so i've heard like snippets of interesting stories that um, you've gotten (laughs) could you talk a little bit give us a, a preview of what kind of stories we'll be hearing on this podcast Yeah, so the goal of Committed was to have an open conversation about marriage. Like I said, to talk about the nitty-gritty, the hard stuff, but also to find couples that are in these interesting relationships. So that ranges from everything to a couple where one person no longer has a short-term memory to a couple of porn stars who are monogamous in their marriage, but they're still having sex with other people on screen. We have a couple who's been married for 28 years, and they're the longest married couple with Down syndrome. And, I mean, I cried probably half a dozen times doing this interview with them because they're just the most in love, happiest couple I've ever met because they're constantly living in the present. They're just, they're not worried about 
what's going to happen tomorrow or what happened yesterday. They're just madly in love with each other in the here and now, and it's it's really amazing. One of our earliest episodes is a couple that was blown up together in the Boston Marathon bombing, and both of them lost their legs. Jess lost both legs. Patrick lost one leg, and they'd only been married seven months, and this is how they kind of learned how to be married while going through this really tragic thing with each other. And so there's a lot of heartbreak, there's a lot of tragedy, and then there's a lot of really uplifting stories. I I think that it's a pretty good mix. I just finished up an episode today about a um, married couple of journalists who are rivals at different newspapers. They both cover baseball, but one covers it for the San Francisco Chronicle, and one covers it for the San Jose Mercury News. And it's actually the woman who's the much, much better baseball reporter and how their marriage survives this uh, competitive workplace environment, which was really fun and they're awesome. And I got to go to an A's game and hang out in the sports writer's box for that one. So it was great. And we're just, we're constantly looking for news stories. It's incredible, but we're getting emails every day from couples who are like, I want to tell you about my own marriage. And that's the part that's so cool because I think that every marriage has a story and it's our goal to to bring them out and to try to tell them. We'll hear more from Joe after a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Arches and Halo. Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere, and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes. Arches and Halos is our favorite brow products that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. They have professional quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use Arches and Halos because of how well done the formulas are, and they are half the price of department store brands. They have eight color shades to choose from, everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. Everyone is represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow. And they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They have an amazing range of products too, from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos, professional brow grooming. Be bold, be you. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So we know, listeners, it's been rough for a lot of people out there, and we've been very open about our experiences with therapy and how it's been so helpful for us in the past and in the present. And because of that, we wanted to highlight a service that we think might be of help to you all, BetterHelp, which offers licensed online counselors who are trained to listen and to help. You can talk with your counselors in a private online environment at your own convenience from wherever you're comfortable. And BetterHelp counselors have expertise in a broad range of areas. They can give you access to help that might not be available in your area. And you just have to fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs and then get matched with a counselor in under 48 hours. BetterHelp is an affordable option, and our listeners get 10% off your first month with a discount code MOMSTUFF. Get started today at BetterHelp.com slash MOMSTUFF. That's BetterHelp.com slash MOMSTUFF. Talk to a therapist online and get help. And we're back. Let's get right back to Joe. So I want to switch gears for a minute. Something that I often hear repeated is this idea that half of marriages end in divorce. Is that still true? Like, where are we at with the state of marriage just sort of nationally? It's still true. And the interesting thing I learned is that half of marriages end in divorce in the U.S. And also in countries that are more progressive about marriage, that are less obsessed with marriage, like the Northern European countries, half of those marriages end in divorce, too. And I think that has to do with the fact that human beings really aren't programmed for monogamy. Uh, We try really hard. There's a lot of studies that say monogamy is good for a society. I think that those studies were probably written by men for whom it was easier to be married than not married. But yeah, it's still still 50% in the majority of countries that have marriage where a person gets to choose their spouse. Now, if you go to a country where marriage is arranged, that number is Definitely not 50%, but those countries also tend to have negative attitudes towards divorce. Yeah, this is actually the the thing that you just mentioned about sort of the divorce rates. 
this is one of the biggest reasons that I feel a bit ambivalent around marriage because it just seems like marriage and, and the act of getting married is such a huge undertaking, and it, it can be. I guess it doesn't have to be, but part of me is like, if it's just a, a dice roll that's going to work out or not, what's the difference, you know? Like, it, there are other things in life that if its completion rate was that was 50-50, like, why bother, you know? It's like, if that was anything else, if it was, you know, if I was going to take a, car, a long car trip and it was 50-50, I'd make it, I probably wouldn't go, you know? You wouldn't get in that, you wouldn't get in that car. No, no, 100%. That's the reason that I don't go windsurfing. <laughs> because they're like, it's 50-50 that you're not going to survive this windsurfing. So you could, you could get married or you could go windsurfing. <laughs> I could get married or I could go windsurfing, and they're both probably going to end badly. You know, in, so in other countries that I visited, and I was in France and Sweden and Denmark and the Netherlands, in those countries, they're way more relaxed about getting married. It's like, we could get married, we could not get married, we could just be partners forever. It's also often the woman that is holding holding all of the cards and that she's the one like, all right, now we can get married. Like, it's not that the guy gets to choose when to propose. And then they also have way more chill weddings. So we're in Copenhagen and most people just get married in City Hall in like jeans and a t-shirt. And then they go out for beers afterwards. And I'm like, this is the most civilized country in the world. This is fantastic. And the city hall also serves these delicious little pancakes when people are getting married. And I'm just like, if our city hall served pancakes, I would get married every weekend because these are the best pancakes I've ever had. But like, we invest so much money in this ridiculous wedding this one day for something that has a 50% chance of failing. And I think that scares a lot of people. And I know it scared me. And we're also from a generation where all of our parents got divorced. Like, my parents didn't, but they should have. They hated each other. And I, but all of my friends at school, like, had the dad that, like, lived in the condominium complex with the pool, like, on the other side of town because no one was married anymore. So I think it's scary. And I think we don't talk enough about what happens when marriages do fail. And we really think of divorce as this terrible thing and this stigma here in the States. One of the other cool things about Denmark was that they don't think of divorce as a bad thing. They're just like, you know, you had a relationship and it was great, but... It didn't last forever. Uh, it's really easy to get divorced in Denmark. It's cheap. You can do it online. And couples, I met some that celebrate their divorce anniversary, where everyone just kind of gets together and hangs out because why did you spend your life with this person or think you wanted to spend your life with this person and then decide to hate them forever? So I blame the states too and pop culture. I blame everything on pop culture. I really do. For making divorce seem like it has to be this terrible thing. So we go into it thinking, oh, my God, this has to suck. This has to be the worst thing that ever happens to me. And maybe divorce isn't the worst thing. Like, maybe you shouldn't be with someone for 10 years. And then maybe you should be with someone else. And maybe it's okay that you're no longer married to that person. And I think that would make it a lot less scary to get married if we didn't think that divorce was the worst thing that was ever going to happen to us. Yeah. Um, as we record this, I, I am not big into British royalty at all. So I'm probably going to mess this up. But they keep talking about how she, is it her who's had the divorce? One of them oh, has had a divorce. I know a lot about this only because he's marrying a black woman. And so I've, I have <laughs> I have given zero shit about any of this my whole life. Once there was like a black woman in the mix, now I'm an expert. <laughs> but yes, so uh, Megan, who was getting married, uh, she is busting norms because she's black. She's older, oh. you know, she's practically an old maid. She's been divorced. Also, she was on that show Suits, so it's <laughs> a little thing. Um, but yeah, they're acting like it's this, she's this, like, marked, scarred woman because she's been married before. Like, people have acted, this is an actual criticism that people have hurled at her. Like, how could Harry, this dignified, you know, British royal, deign to, you know, oh, tether but, himself but to let someone? Me, let me interject. This dignified British royal that once showed up at a costume party in a Nazi uniform. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah let's keep it real, Harry, right? Yeah. I was trying to remember if that was him earlier today because they were talking about the wedding. You're totally right. They're like, oh, my gosh, she's this marked, cursed woman because she was divorced. It's like, come on. It's 2018, people. Yeah. And if anything, she should be a marked woman because she was on a USA drama for a long time. (laughs) Just kidding. Suits is actually a good show. It's not like it was a network drama. It was in the USA. But also, also, also just kidding, because cable dramas are way better than network dramas. A lot of times, <laughs> accurate, yeah. accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it just, I think you're so right that 
in this country, if you are divorced, it's like having a big scarlet D on your chest and it makes it seem like you're unworthy or you're a failure or that something's wrong with you. A lot of my friends who've been divorced, they actually, if someone's like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that, they're like, no, I was, I'm happy that I was divorced. I, I, I had a marriage that wasn't good and I'm happy that I found the courage and the strength to get out of it as opposed to staying in it and being miserable and just sort of sinking all your self-worth into not wanting to, you know, reverse that, that choice. Yeah, and I think if we didn't have a stigma against divorce, which a lot of countries don't have a stigma against divorce, we could maybe just enjoy these parts of our marriage that were really good and realize, hey, maybe at a different stage in our life, maybe when we're not raising children, maybe when I switch careers, like, I might want to be married to someone else. And I know that sounds almost radical to say, and I'm almost uncomfortable saying it because I've been so indoctrinated into American pop culture. But I think if we could just be a little bit more relaxed about the whole thing and realize that marriage isn't a fairy tale, it's not our happily ever after, and it doesn't have to last forever, then we would just be less afraid and we wouldn't feel like a failure if you get divorced. I mean, you shouldn't. It's just another stage in your life. It's not, it's not that big a deal. But literally everything in pop culture tells us that divorce is awful, that it's the worst thing ever. So how do we, so this all sounds great in theory. How do we actually go about the process of unlearning all of this stigmatizing, heavy crap that we've all been absorbing about marriage and divorce pretty much all of our lives? It's so hard. It's really hard. I was having a conversation with an agent in L.A. I have this other book. It's a political novel coming out called Charlotte Walsh Likes to Win. And this agent was telling me, she's like, I, when Hillary Clinton lost, I blamed Hollywood. I blamed Hollywood because pop culture has told us for so long that there's things that a woman can't do. And we've essentially programmed America to believe that a woman couldn't be president. And I was like, you're totally right. And her goal, and I've been talking to her about making Charlotte into something, is to create TV and movies that deprogram us. And I think that that's something that we really need to think about. How can we deprogram our generation? Every generation that's older than us, they might kind of be lost to us. But that's okay, because you know they'll die sooner than we will. But we have to figure out how to create new pop culture that will deprogram the next generation. So showing different kinds of marriage, showing different kinds of love, and that started to happen with seeing really great gay marriage on TV and in movies, but there's still so much further to go. It's incredible that Prince Harry is marrying a divorced actress on a USA drama who's half African-American. That's awesome, but we just need more of that. And I think that it's incumbent on creators, people that are making books and movies and TV shows and podcasts, to deprogram the culture. Is that too heavy an ask? Is that a lot? I mean, I'm just a simple podcaster, but I'll see what I can do. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for accepting my mission. And that, 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 so that's one of the things that we want to do with Committed, is we want to show different kinds of marriage and different kinds of love. And unexpected marriage, unexpected love, to show people that there's not just one way that you have to be. One of the um, couples that we have on, it's actually, well, it's not a couple, it's a what would you call someone that was three people? So a threesome, I guess, or a triad. But they're, but they're not. I mean, they're, but they're not a threesome. And so they're in a polyamorous relationship. And since I live in San Francisco, I'm always skeptical when people say they're in a polyamorous relationship because in San Francisco, people just say it to be cool. But I don't think these guys are just saying it to be cool. And it's a polyamorous relationship led by one of the women. So she's married to the man and married to the woman, and she's the one with two partners. It's not a man that has two female partners, and I think that makes it a little different. And it's really interesting to not look at it in a tabloidy, exploitive kind of way, but to dig into how does this work, and what does it mean for marriage generally to have three people involved. And that was an incredible episode because it made me want to get a wife. I was like, oh, my God, if there could be an extra pair of hands to hold this baby and clean these dishes and help us with dinner, I'm in. I'm all for polyamory now. Bring it on. Several times on this show, it's a topic of interest, the feminist marriage. It's been discussed several times with different people, and you've mentioned it a couple times in this conversation. Can you talk about the marriage of equals and what it means to be married as a feminist? How do you do that? What is a feminist marriage? I think it's really hard to have what 
I thought of as a feminist marriage and a marriage of equals. I went into my own marriage, and I'm really married to the most feminist man in the world. When he was a kid, he read all of the Judy Bloom books. I think he, he read more Judy Bloom books than I did. He can quote the book Blubber, which is just adorable. And he loves women, and he loves equality, and it's still a challenge absolutely every single day. Somehow I've still fallen into this gendered role of I'm the one that makes all the doctor's appointments. I'm the one that is planning for meals. I'm the one who orders. I I do order the groceries instead of going grocery shopping, but I'm still the one that orders them to be delivered. And a lot of the feminist writers that I talked to when I was writing How to Be Married have said the same thing, that like all of a sudden they've, they've fallen into these gendered roles without even realizing it. And the best thing you can do is to talk about it. So Nick and I kind of have these office hours once a week where it's like we have them over a glass of wine, which our therapist said not to have them over a glass of wine, but I was like, I'm not, not going to, not going to talk to my husband without drinking a little bit and talk about what's bugging us. And it came up. I'm like, I feel like I'm making all the doctor's appointments and he didn't even realize it. And that's one of the, one of the things that I've realized about having a feminist marriage is that we kind of have to program our husbands. That, it's, that it is our job to decide what we want our marriage to look like and then to tell the men because men want to be told what to do. And that's, that's my, my, my feminist stance on marriage. It's to train and program my husband a little bit like, like a dog. And it's worked for me. And now I have a husband who gets up in the middle of the night with the baby and I get to sleep the whole night. And he does the dishes. And even though I'm making all the doctor's appointments, he takes the baby to them. So I think that we've done a really good job. We're still probably 40, 60 in household duties with me still being 60, but I think it's probably better than most marriages. So I'm curious, do you have any insight into how this this situation might be complicated or made better or, you know, is different in same-sex marriages? So yeah, same-sex marriages have the same challenges. Even though it's not necessarily a man and a woman, having an equal marriage is really hard. And it's about communication and expectations and spelling it out. And I think this is where non-traditional couples, like polyamorous couples, actually have us more monogamous traditional couples beat. Because if you're doing something like having three people in your marriage, you don't have a choice but to talk about it and to explain expectations and to have rules and boundaries. And people in a more traditional marriage just think, oh my God, I had this wedding. It's going to work out. Everything's perfect now. And they don't work on it. And marriage is hard work. I think that Ben Affleck said that before he left Jen Garner for the nanny and got the kind of tattoo that a kid who works at a gas station gets, but it's true. Marriage is hard work. You have to work at it. You have to talk about it. You have to set goals and rules and expectations, or you're, I don't think that, it, that it's possible to be happy in your marriage unless you're putting in the work. So other than that great advice that it's just going into it clear-eyed, knowing that it's hard work, what advice do you have for people out there who maybe are married right now or thinking about getting married? My best advice sounds super anti-feminist, and I wrote it in my book and got so much backlash. But you, ha- you have to unpack it. You have to dissect it. So I was in Paris with all of these very fancy French women, and I'm not very fancy at all, and I, but I was, I was trying to fit in with them. So I was, like, smoking a long cigarette and you know, balancing a glass of red wine on my knee and my notebook on the other, and, and then I spilled the red wine all over myself. And they all told me the same thing, that you should be your husband's mistress. And I, like, the feminist side of me is like, oh, God, that's disgusting. And they're like, no. They're like, but he should also be your mistress. There's just no good male word for mistress. The goal is that you should treat each other the way that you treated each other when you were dating, when you were still excited about each other, when you still wanted to have great conversations outside the realm of something gross is in the garbage disposal, why do the towels smell weird, and what just came out of the baby's butt. And so to be your best person and to actually show up in your marriage the way that you did when you were desperately trying to get this person to like you. And it's, it doesn't make any sense that we do it the other way around, that once we get this person that allegedly we want to spend the rest of our lives with, then we start to treat them like shit. So I think it is be your husband's mistress and have your husband be your mistress and behave as well as you did when you were first dating because you were on your best behavior then why do you turn into a jerk after you already land this person? Right. So Committed comes out on June 6th. Uh, and where, where can people find you? Where can people learn more about what you're, what you're up to? So 
committed is going to be on the How Stuff Works Network, and it's on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're on, at the website committedpod.com, and we're on Instagram and Twitter as at committedpod, and we'll have a lot of updates and short episodes and previews there, and we're going to have a lot of fun. We have a lot of crazy, interesting couples. I just got a text right now that we're trying to land a couple of astronauts Ooh. who are who are never in space at the same time, ah. uh, and how they make how they make their marriage work when one person is in space. We all need to know. We all need to know. We do. We do. One of my one of my other favorite episodes actually is two married figure skaters, and it's my favorite because then I got to watch the cutting edge like nine times just to get ready for their interview. And I kept bringing it up too. And they're like, Oh, but we're real life people. And I'm like, but let's talk about this romantic comedy from the early night. <laughs> because that that's like a documentary, right? It's essentially a documentary. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. This has been awesome. Okay. Listeners. That was a, a lot of stuff about marriage. I hope that we've demystified it. Somewhat, although it is a very complex issue to demystify. Um, but you can look out for Joe's podcast, Committed. It is coming out June 6th. And if you want to get in touch with us and tell us, what is that bridal underwear? Or any other questions that were raised, you can. You can find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast and on Instagram at StuffMomNeverToldYou. Or you can always email us at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Mom. Hi, honey. So I want to ask you a couple questions about your marriage with Dad. Okay. Do you think you guys had a happy marriage? No, we didn't. Why not? He was a narcissistic sociopath incapable of loving anybody. Do you think that's why I'm so obsessed with trying to figure out how a good marriage works? Absolutely. I'm Joe Piazza. I'm not a therapist. I haven't even been married that long. I'm just a new wife trying to figure out how marriage works by talking to a lot of really interesting strangers. Okay, so why do you want to do a podcast about marriage? Well, it's the oldest game in the book, right? Most people do it. No one really talks about it. You're worried about something about our marriage? No. We have a good marriage. Most of the time. I think so. Most of the time, it's pretty good. I think we have an above-average marriage. Well above average. Well above average. But we're going to learn some stuff on this podcast. Hopefully. Sometimes my own marriage seems kind of mundane. I want to know what it's like to be married to a rock star or a porn star. I want to know what it's like to be married to someone who has amnesia you're worried that they're going to forget you forever. When you're first married, when you first start saying, you know, my wife would like a, a coffee, those words seem so weird. They picked me up on the stretcher. The only thing Patrick said to me was, that's my wife. So in this really crazy, traumatic setting to hear him say it, it just really stood out to me. And then he looked at me and said, we'll figure this out. And it wasn't just about one person. It was, I wanted to go to the Olympics, Alexa wanted to go to the Olympics, and we wanted to get each other to the Olympics. And I had always told him that he would be a great legal investigator because he had trained at least a dozen private investigators when he worked as a criminal lawyer. So that was the first thing on my mouth. I just looked at him and I said, let's start an investigations agency. And we did. Let me clarify. I I cook the meals. She washes the dishes. So she makes me she's yeah. making me look like I'm the bad guy. I'm not the bad guy. No, he's yeah, he, yeah. he has definitely been yeah. nothing but wonderful throughout this yeah. experience, you know. From How Stuff Works, I'm Joe Piazza. This is committed. Join me as we find out what happens after I do. Subscribe on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. See you soon. 
If you crack open an American history book, it's sure to be filled with founding fathers, bloody wars, and the inventions that brought this country to the industrial age. But there's a whole other world that waits for us in the shadows. Tales of unlikely heroes, world-changing tragedies, and legends that are unique to this country's spirit. So join me, Lauren Vogelbaum, for a tour of American history unlike any other, through a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Menke's Grim and Mild. Get ready for American Shadows. Listen to American Shadows on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. In this time of pandemic and revolution, do you find yourself frustrated at high levels of corruption and inequality? At our inability to get basic things done? At the persistence of systemic racism? You're not alone. I'm Baratunde Thurston, author, activist, and comedian. Our democratic experiment is at a tipping point, but which way we tip is up to us. Listen to How to Citizen with Baratunde on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.